because it was my life I was going to lose. It was me who was paying the consequences. Like all my friends have died. They're all gone. There ain't none of them left. They all overdosed and died. I was homeless. I didn't have any money. Doors were all closed. Locks were all changed. I'm not there to hold their hand. I'm there to hold out my hand. If I want to be successful, I need to be around successful people. It will get better as long as I continue to put in the work and do whatever I can to help the next person. It gets better, Doc. It gets better. It gets Doc. better right there, baby. All right, welcome to It Gets Better. Doc, gun it, it does. We've got the Robs. You know them. You know their story. You know how passionate they are. They want to help you. In everything. They're 24-7. That's what it is. And we have a wonderful guest on it. It, it, it says I stutter. It gets better. And her name is Laverne Gordon. And, and she, I mean, just one second. Are you the founder of Life Love Life Now Foundation? I, you, the I sure am. You're the head sure chief. You're the, you're the head honcho. Well, I don't know about all that, but. Yeah, you know. yeah, but that, that's a great name, man. Hi, now, Laverne. How are you? His, Hi, Rob. One of the Robs. It's One so good Robs. to see you, Laverne. I am so grateful you were here. Oh, I'm so excited you invited me, Rob. This is, so this is really exciting. All right. Hey, hey, Demio, it's yours. Not mine. All right. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm wicked excited. I mean, I get finally have a platform to come and bring you on for you to share your message of strength and hope for so many people. So I just want to fill you, uh, Scott and Robin. I met Laverne about three years ago. Laverne reached out to me after my mother was murdered and Laverne's organization does a lot. Love Life Now Foundation, she's the founder. They've got so much going on for, you know, domestic violence awareness and kind of doing what we do with, you know, substance use disorder. She's helping people get the help that they really and truly need. Laverne reached out because she was throwing this amazing event in uh, Massachusetts called the Helathon, where men stood up, wore high heels and walked about a mile in the name of, you know, men talking, awareness. speaking awareness, right? Against yes. domestic violence. And um, they did this. She didn't know me from a hole in the wall. Complete stranger reaches out to me and says, I want to throw this event in, in honor of your mother's name and all the proceeds and all the, you know, um, all the all the proceeds are going to go to an amazing domestic violence shelter in the home city that me and my mother are from in Somerville, Mass. Mm, and like, right. I, was, I was taken back and... You know, I kind of was, I was terrified at first, you know what I mean? Because here I am, I, I'm going to, you know, really learn some things. And um, I, I said, okay. And she did it. And she has been a huge, huge um, tool in my healing process from my mother's murder and kind of really understanding what my mother went through and starting to really open my eyes as to who I am as a man and how I carry myself and the way that I treat other females and women in my life. And, um, you know, with that, I want Laverne to tell you guys a little bit about what she's got going on. And, um, yeah, Laverne, I'm so happy you're here. Oh my gosh. Just they're the very same here. And you were spot on about our, our meeting, our connection, and it really meant a lot. I mean, your mother's story really touched upon so many variants as it relates to this issue, but it also opened up people's eyes, I believe, to another area of what this issue entails, domestic violence. So I was just so happy that you were willing to come and be a part of the event. And yeah, ever since I think, again, you know, they say that nobody comes into your life for no reason, right? It's always a reason and a season. 
And in this season, um, it has been an honor and, a, and, a, and a, an absolute pleasure to get to know more about your mom, be on different platforms talking about what she went through, raising awareness about what happened to her, and then, you know, how people can get help, right? So it's not just talk about your mom and that's it, but like, really, where are the, where's the help? And which is what we tend to focus on. So you mentioned Love Life Now and what we've been doing throughout the years. The organization has been around for 10 years, and but prior to that, the year before that, um, I got dared by a couple of girlfriends of mine at the time to take part in a local beauty pageant. And I was like, there's no way I'm getting up on the stage and walking in no heels and no dress. Granted, I was no stranger to those things, but I was just not about the pageantry life. The whole idea of that to me was just catty and all the stuff you see on TV, right? And so they dared me. They were like, oh, you're chicken. I'm like, you know what? I will do this thing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to prove you wrong that I can at least get through this whole thing. And I did and ended up winning. So now I have to go on to the nationals in LA and compete there. And now I'm really revved up because I want to win now. Right. Very cool. And I ended up winning in LA too. So now I have these two right titles, on. one from April, one from September that I have to pick a platform for to advocate um, throughout the year for. And domestic violence was an easy choice. And so I'll go back as to why it, why it is and why it continues yeah. to be an easy choice for me because um, I'm a two-time survivor. I am a child witness to this issue. Um, I, I grew up in Trinidad. That's where I was born and raised for the first 15 years of my life. On the island, it is known for its for vibrant carnivals, but it is also known for domestic violence and it runs rampant on the island. And we were no exception. I lived in a very poor town and our father who was lower middle class in the terms of the salary that he made, lived in this poor town um, and he beat our mother profusely, brutally in front of us for many, many years. And this was nothing that he hid to do. This is something that he would, so I'm, I'm gonna be very frank. He used machetes on her. Um, he used beer bottles that he would break and stab her with from time to time. He physically kicked her in front of our house, inside of our house. I mean, it really didn't matter where. Um, and this is something that we were privy to day in and day out. And I always I have to said, interrupt real quick. How, how many four. siblings? You're one of four, Got one it. of five. Continue. And I'm the middle child of five. And um, yeah, so we're watching this. My two oldest siblings got the brunt of the child abuse. So they were getting, I mean, simple disciplinary things that you would, you know, put your child maybe in a corner for or speak to them in a stern way. He was physically beating my two older siblings who are about seven years my senior to a pulp, right? So never as brutal as my mother, because he took out the brunt of the abuse on her. But for children, it was like neighbors would even comment, like, those are children you're beating like that, like grown men. Um, and so this is what I watched for a very long time. And by the time I came about and I realized that this is what he did to them, I did everything opposite of what he thought was bad to try to not get the, any abuse like that. And so I always said, that would never be me. I'd never let anybody treat me the way he treated our mother. And I obviously didn't want any of the child abuse. So I did everything that I could to please him. And so fast forward, I migrated to the States. He allowed me to come to the States in 1993 to finish high school here. My grandparents had already lived here for many, many years on my mother's side. And again, growing up with this whole mentality that my mother is poor, uneducated, 
um, financially dependent on him. And I said, I'm going, I'm going to be the opposite of that. I'm going to be him so that I gain that power and control in my own life that nobody would ever have it over me. So I went to school. I was smart. I got educated. I got an entry-level job in corporate America by the time I was 21. I'm working at, um, so I'm, I'm going to school at Suffolk University at night. I'm doing everything opposite of what I thought a victim was. By the time I'm 21, I'm working at this company and this guy kept trying to get my attention for about three months. Um, and then I finally gave in, gave him my number, started dating, things were great. Lavish dates, flowers. The third month into the relationship, he accuses me, he called me and said, now I'd stayed home because I was started, I started, started suffering from allergies, something that I still suffer from today, but I thought it was a really bad cold. So I called the office and I said, you know, I'm not coming in. When I went back to sleep about 15 minutes later, he called my phone, irate, why aren't you at work? I called your desk and you're not there. Completely like unreasonably angry to the point where he hung up the phone. And then he showed up at my house that morning. When he walked in, he pushed past me when I opened the door and he went into my bedroom and started rummaging through my stuff, looking under the bed, behind the curtain, in the closet, just real paranoid behavior. And when I said to him over and over again, nobody's here, like, what are you doing? You're freaking me out. I'm getting scared because I've never seen, it was like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde flip, right? And he's like over me now standing, I'm on the edge of the bed and I'm quaking in my boots because I'm like, this is a monster that is before me. And he comes over me and he said, and he used some choice words. And he said, I knew you were too good to be true. And then slapped me so hard, I saw stars. And then he stormed out left me there sitting, holding my face in hand, wondering what did I just do to, to bring that on? Maybe I should have called him. Maybe I should have checked in because we did talk every morning. One of the big red flags that I missed very early on in the relationship is that he always had to have a tab on me. He always wanted to know where I was. He always called me to make sure I was already at work. And he wasn't just calling my cell phone. He was calling my desk phone. So again, making sure I was where I said I was going to be. And so this particular slap left me like confused. And then I caught myself after about five minutes. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't do anything. I told the truth. So I'm done with this guy. This is what I'm saying to myself. I left. I went to New York for the weekend. I had promised myself a bus shopping trip down there for the day. I said, you know what? I'm not coming back for the weekend. I'm going to stay through Sunday. I'm going to get this guy out of my system. Sunday, I come back and my brother met me at the door because my youngest siblings are now here in the States with me as well, as well as my mother. My father finally let my mother go because what happened is that as we got older, we all stood up to him and said, you can say what you want, but you're not ever going to touch her again. As long as we're around, you don't ever put your hands on this woman again. And he realized over a period of time that he was losing power and control over her. He couldn't physically hit her, right? Um, he could talk. And so he, he allowed her to migrate to the States. Did you, did you step in? I mean, when that realization happened, did you sort of circle the... Uh, around your mom and, and protected her? Is that like- Oh, absolutely. Ah. Oh, absolutely. Wow. We said, we will take you out. We physically stood up to him. Ah. And I know that I physically couldn't take him on like that. So I used my voice, right, right. at the time. But then I would also call my, call my oldest brother who was big and taller than him and physically bigger than him to come in and, you know, reinforcement, so to speak. And he knew that my my brother would, would take him on, right? And so- 
now I'm in this situation. I come back. I meet my brothers at the door waiting for me. And he said, you're pretty popular around here. I said, why? He said, such and such has been looking for you. I said, oh, really? He said, he left something for you in the room. I go in the room, my bedroom, and he brought two dozen purple roses, my favorite color till this day. Didn't know that it was the color of domestic violence awareness at the time. First of all, I don't even know what domestic violence is. I just know that my mother physically got beat and she was weak for taking that abuse. That was my mindset at the time. And I would never let it happen to me. So I go into the room, there's these beautiful roses on my, on my dresser and a card. I'm sorry, I miss you, I love you, call me. And he signed his name. And then I turned on my phone. I used to have those prepaid phones. You guys remember those phones where you seven after seven nights and weekends were free or yes. during the week, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So only I, call me during my free minutes. Listen, because we're gonna run it out. And so I had turned off my phone that entire weekend. A, I wanted to save my minutes, but B, I didn't want to hear from him. When I finally turned it on, there were a slew of messages from him apologizing. So in that moment, guys, I need you to understand, people ask a lot of the times, how do victims get into these types of relationships? Only weak people fall for that, right? And I can tell you succinctly, I considered myself a smart person at the time. And I accepted that apology because what did I do? I immediately compared what happened to my mom to what had happened to me in that one instant. And I said, it wasn't that bad. She got beat oh. a lot physically. I only got oh. slapped. He never really apologized to her. He was just always like, come back home. This is stupid. Oh. He brought me flowers. He wow. went to an extent, a real long, elaborate extent to apologize. So I almost immediately made excuses as to why I could take him back, why his apology was so sincere. And I have to have people understand that at the first onset of any type of physical, emotional, or verbal abuse, it is not a one-time instant. If it happened that one time, and I'm telling you from lived experiences, it will happen again. This isn't like, oh, I tripped and I fell and I'm sorry. This was a choice. And that's what domestic violence is, right? It's a, it's a, it's a fervent choice from learned behavior because I learned later on many, many years that he also grew up in a home, my father. He grew up in a home where his father beat his mother, right? And this is what he knew. And he learned these behaviors as it relates to relationships and brought it into his home. So fast forward to when I finally leave, I get to my breaking point. The, the relationship lasted almost two years. The, the ante upped as far as the, the abuse went, right? Because it went from a slap. He never hit me in my face again because he knew I worked in a corporate setting, went to school at nights. People would ask me questions. And so it was always strangulation. It was blows about the upper torso body area and my upper like hip area. Um, it was grabbing, it was pushing anything where you couldn't see things. Right. And I'm, I'm wearing a turtleneck today, but that's not because I've been hit or anything. I just wear, <laughs> I just feel like wearing a turtleneck today. Oh my God, she's got a turtleneck. What? <laughs> Rob and I were about to drive over and make sure everything was all right. <laughs> Give me the address if that were the case, right? But so I uh, went to the breaking point because this particular night, he, the attack was so bad that it went from nine o'clock the night before till about two o'clock the next morning. He stopped, he went again. He stopped, he went again. All because he found a picture. Now, he was very paranoid, always looking for something to blame me for. And this is another instance where this, when abuse is prevalent, is that the abuser never takes accountability, right? It's always your fault. 
you now, make Laverne, me do this. Is, is that uh, like a sign of like narcissist behavior on top? Oh, yes. Off okay. the top, off the top. And we can we can get into that whole conversation of narcissism, but that'd be a whole other show, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> but I'm it telling you that they never take accountability. It's always, you, you made me do this. If you had not put that underwear on and tried to attract other guys, then I wouldn't do this. If you had just listened to me, I wouldn't have done this. If you had just done, 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 I wouldn't have done this. It's never their fault. And so this particular night, he found a picture, an old picture from Trinidad of me and my ex-boyfriend that I'd used as a bookmark in one of my novels that I had read, cover to cover for many years, and forgot it in there. He found this picture and correlated it with me cheating and went ballistic. So this was the worst attack, nine to two in the morning. Stop, go, stop, go. And then he stopped. When he was done, he laid in my bed next to me like nothing had happened. Rob, do you want? I mean, Scott, do you want to say something? No, I, I'm just stunned. I, it's it, it always fascinates me because that is just that behavior is, is like I, this it's stunning. Is, I, I don't have anything to say. I don't have that type the, of energy whatsoever. It's like it's yeah. the reality. It's and now wow. I'm, so, I'm glad you brought that up. That energy is being. It's now. It's not you. So you, first of all, you have to, victims have to understand that it's not you. Or you're not. You're never the problem right? They're using you as an excuse. Yeah. So something happens at work. I can't step to my boss like that. I can't go accost him. So I'll take it out on you. Somebody tells you something, somebody cuts you off in traffic. I can't go fight the guy. I'm going to take it out on you. It's all about power and control. And you have that level of power over someone that you feel like you have the ability and the, the warrant to do something like that to them. You're going to do it. So that particular night, went to bed. I laid next to him because where am I going to go? At this point, I'm isolated from family and friends. I've heard from him many times that you're the problem. They don't love you like I love you. I'm the only one that loves you this way. I, I believed it. But about four o'clock that morning, I felt the sharpest pain I had ever felt from any of the attacks. And I said, okay, Laverne, you can either lay here and be bleeding internally. You can um, get up and go get help. Or you can die and he'll leave and nobody will find you for some days because I'm not in contact with a whole bunch of friends, right? I decided to go get help. I lived not too far. I live right next to Ashmont Station in Dorchester. Always cabs there. Copped in a cab. I said, take me to Kearney Hospital. Got in the cab. He realized I was gone at the very first light that we were parked at, waiting for it to turn green. He pulls up next to the cab when he realized I was out of the bed. Yelling out of the cab get out the cab, get out the cab. This was playing out like a Lifetime movie that morning. I told the driver, I said, listen, please run the red light if you have to, because if you let me out of this cab, I am dead. Finally, he listens to me, runs the red light, pulls up to Carney Hospital. When he sees that I pulled into Carney Hospital, he speeds away. I didn't understand in that moment that he believed that I was going to say something. I had never said anything to anybody. And in his mind, he believed that if I spoke up, he would then get in trouble. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand the level of power I had to take back in that right. moment. So I went into the hospital, lied to the triage nurse at first and said, I fell in the shower. I hit here, hit here, hit here, and this all hurts. Run x-rays if you have to. They did. The ER doctor comes into the room and he says, who did this to you? Wow. Because what what the, what you're saying doesn't consist is not consistent with you falling in the shower. Who did this to you? And that to me right there was a big no, no. All the time throughout this relationship, I continually said I didn't want anybody to know. Right. I'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm a professional. I am, you know, like I'm looked at as this person and to have this weak thing happen to me. And you're telling me now that if I get, I, I can tell you something and then I can, what does help even mean in that moment, right? I thought the police were gonna get involved. They were gonna show up to my apartment building. I didn't want that. I thought my, my job was gonna finally find out why I would come back to my desk looking, you know, wet and teary-eyed sometimes because he would show up to my job randomly and accost me again for the type of dress. It, it's too short. You're trying to pick up guys in the office. Strangle, strangle, go upstairs, everything's okay. Nothing ever happened. I believe that help to me meant that I was gonna go to a shelter didn't understand domestic violence shelters are not like regular shelters. They're not homeless shelters where it's big open room with beds. That's the thing that I had in my mind. I didn't understand that it was a, it's a home setting where you have your own bedroom. I didn't understand any of that. Huh. I didn't know what kind of services they offered. So again, when you don't know, you don't know. So I finally did confess to the doctor that I did, I was attacked, but I begged him. I said, please, I don't want your help. I just want to go home. Thankfully, what I was diagnosed with was, was upper torso and hip contusions, which meant that he had punched so hard that the inner flesh was swollen and bruised. And it thankfully could be treated with medicine and rest, lots of rest. Went home, didn't realize that this was now the most dangerous time for me. And that's what I want to point out here. The most dangerous time for victims are when they decide to leave. And so every time you hear in your circles, why didn't she just leave? Why didn't he just go? Because this doesn't, doesn't, have to, doesn't just happen to women. One in every four women will be affected by this issue. One in every seven men. And oh, so, one in so, every so, three so, so, so. Those are Those are stats. Slow down. What was the first one? One in every four women. One in every seven men. And those are the reported numbers. And one in every three teens. Okay? This is repeating at a high rate. Right. For kids. I when see, you think uh, your kids, oh. right? So when you think your kids are at school and you're thinking, oh, she's just friends with, you know, Sally and Sally's cool and she has a boyfriend. Guess what? Your daughter, even though she knows succinctly from you that healthy and respectful relationships are where it's at, she thinks it's cool that Sally's getting slapped around and her and her boyfriend seem to be in love and tight. And she wants the same thing. Okay, I do workshops at high schools and middle schools and colleges. And I can tell you 90% of the time, Scott and Rob's, that at least three girls are coming up to me. I'm, I'm talking 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. They're coming up to me and saying, me too. But they didn't know it was domestic violence. They're in the same situations, repeating itself, or their mother is being abused and they don't know how to help her, or their friend is going through it and they don't know what to tell them. Okay, so this was the most dangerous time for me. You were saying something. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm really commanding this conversation. No, 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 I, no. You're, no. you're giving excellent information out here. Heck yeah, and I'm learning a lot because I'm, oh. you know, I'm not that educated on this topic, and I'm learning so much right now. Thank uh, you. My question for you was, you know, for some of the viewers uh, that are watching right now. And so we can learn a little bit as well, because it could be going on in some of our lives right now, Yeah, uh, whether it's my life, uh, family members, life or friends. What are some of the early warning signs of something that we can pay attention to, whether it's happening to us, whether somebody is actually the maybe that male or female that's giving that 
uh, domestic violence out and they can catch themselves and maybe get help before it gets too late or mm-hmm. for the person who is actually receiving that it. yeah going through mm-hmm. it what are mm-hmm. some of those things to like catch and stop before mm-hmm. it gets to that next level so as it relates to teens do you guys have children i'm actually rob does i'm, I'm having my first child in about 70 days <laughs> my, my daughter ju- my daughter boy. just got married <laughs> and now i'm how old is she She's 25. Oh, love it. Congratulations. And I know Rob has a beautiful little girl. And oh my gosh, you guys are all at different stations with children. I love it. <laughs> this is beautiful. Um, so for, for I, I, I love to start with teenagers because those are the ones that tend to fly under the radar and then you don't see something until again, something happens in the news. But it's really easy to see the switch and, and see the switch almost like in front of your eyes as a parent. So like we talked about turtlenecks all of a sudden they're wearing turtlenecks in the summer that's a problem right what are you covering up what what, your hair changed like you used to wear your hair down now it's completely demure and it's always pulled back why because they their partner thinks it's too flashy or you're inviting attention with that type of thing right so their whole demeanor physically and outwardly changes um they're always wanting to, and this can go for an adult too, this, this, this part, right? So you're always on your phone, right? You always got to check in. Oh, you just left Rob, no pun intended, you just left Rob, but you got to call Rob again when you got back in the house. Like you always got to check in. You always got to make sure they know where you are. Um, you can't show up to family uh, functions anymore because you, you're afraid that they might have an outburst or they don't even want you going out, right? So I don't want you hanging with your family. Um, she's no good or your friend's no good. So isolation, that's a real big part. because I, I have that down, isolation and shame. Big time, If, if you big can instill that into an individual, that's a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 and so people tend to have this <sighs> idea, I certainly did, of what a victim is. Abusers often tend to prey a lot on the strong person. They want to have the ability to break them down. I want you to get so small to take away whatever uh, individuality that you had before. That's like part of the, 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 the drama for them. Like, how do I get you to be this small emotionally? Sometimes it doesn't even have to be. And again, people tend to think when they have domestic violence is the physicality of it. You're not thinking that that person is, you know, the person at home that has to deal with somebody taking out a gun and just leaving it on the table, walking by to let you know that at any time they can pick it up and use it. A knife that they just have. Physical gestures that I'm not going to, you know, I never physically hit you, but I'm letting you know that I, I could, right? Pulling you by the hair, dragging you from room to room, right? Um, and then a lot of the times, victims tend to be in these types of situations. And let's say there's kids involved. They believe that they're doing their kids a service by sticking around because they might not have had a parent, two-parent home. And they believe that keeping you know, the abuser around, man or woman, is the best for their kids. Not understanding, well, he never physically hit me and I don't ever let, you know, he never yells in front of the kids. Your children pick up on behaviors that you wouldn't believe. I don't think we give kids, and as a child witness, again, lived experience, I don't think parents or adults give kids the credit that they deserve when it comes to this issue because they feed upon your demeanor. 
So if you've left and you've gone to the room and before you left the room, everything was great. But then when you come back out, you're sunken, you're solid. Your children pick up on that. My God, you think cats can read you or dogs can read you? Kids can read you the same way. Right. Okay. And they take on your trauma. So by you staying in those types of situations, and this is nobody, I'm not saying this to blame victims. That's the last thing that I want to do, right? What I'm saying is to bring a reality of awareness to you to understand how deep this issue goes, especially when there are children involved. Now, I have a, I, I have like a, a second part question. Uh, beings yeah. that were in like a major pandemic right now mm. and we're being isolated. We have to stay in uh, mm-hmm. more than normal, right? Yeah. Has domestic violence increased during this COVID pandemic? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, the problem, and so there's two answers to this, right? So it's increased, but then it's decreased. And I say that to say that when you're isolated or you're quarantining or you're social distancing with your abuser, it is not very easy to go pick up the phone and call for help, okay? It's not as easy. So the calls are down and that's what worries advocates is because where they were getting 16 to 17, I'm just throwing out numbers, 16 to 17 calls per day, now it's down to four. That's a problem, right? Right. Because you know now that you can't pick up the phone necessarily and talk to people the way that you want to talk, which is why we, when the pandemic hit, I think it was in April or May, by the time we realized that this was a thing, we enacted our hotline right? So when people call to get me that to, to find help, we in a, we got an 888 number that people can text, right? So you don't necessarily have to pick up the phone and call. The National right. Domestic Violence Hotline also, they enabled the ability to text to chat on right on their website. To be safer. So it, to be safer, right? Yeah. And I can tell you there were at least two calls in the very beginning, right around the April timeframe, where I got um, survivors that were quarantining or having to social distance with their abuser and they couldn't talk in the house. So they were calling me on the way home from work. And if that was a 30 minute ride, they're they're talking to me on a 30 minute ride. Then, or they were leaving to go outside in their cars to text because that's the only free time that they had. So this is a real thing, right? This is not just smoke being blown, right? Um, And so what I say to that is how can you be a support to somebody that may be in that type of situation? Well, you keep in contact with them. You find ways, make an excuse. Well, I got to go to the store to get milk for the baby, right? Um, Have ready excuses available that you can meet up with friends. Um, Make ways that you can meet up, even if it's virtually, you know, talk, you know, you, you can't see them in person because again, that's been taken away. I could easily go to my sister's house to wait till he calms down or she calms down before COVID. Now I can't do that because my sister is, you know, living with my mom and she's elderly and we can't take chances, right? So make ways to keep in contact with people and be a support, right? So even if COVID or not, be a non-judgmental heir if somebody comes to you with this issue and says, I'm going through this, or you suspect something. And I, when I say non-judgmental heir, it's not just listening, but getting yourself educated. What is the nearest domestic violence hot, um, agency in your area? Easy to find. Go on the website. Look it up. figure out what that number is. Give it to your friend or your family member. When they're ready to make that decision, they can make it and do so safely because a lot of the times, victims are not going to up and leave on their own. 
they have to feel empowered enough to want to do it, right? Um, often enough, it takes a victim at least on average, seven to 10 times to leave. I would imagine that it's probably more than that for some situations where maybe they're married, have children mm -hmm. together. Have children, he is, yes. He's financially paying the bills maybe mm -hmm. in the house. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a woman can feel trapped where, what am I going to do? Maybe mm -hmm. I don't have family anymore. Uh, yep. We have children. I have no family, have nowhere yep. to go, and he's paying the bills. So I'm going to sit there and take, and that's a scary, scary situation when there's abuse and, and violence going on. And it's like, what do I do now? You are hitting some of the key points on why victims stay. But the question should never be that. It should be, why do abusers abuse and how can we hold them accountable? I agree. Right? This narrative that somehow we're supposed to keep ourselves safe, which end up, ends up happening anyway, shouldn't be the deal. Absolutely. Why are they doing the things that they do? And if they are found out, how are we holding them accountable? And society really doesn't. People, these guys, these these women, whoever, these abusers, they get slaps on their wrists from the court system, right? I've been beaten. I go to the court. I go to the police. He's bailed out the next day. What? I'm sorry, what? Wait a minute. So what am I supposed to do now? Oh, get a restraining order. So I go. I get a restraining order. Thankfully, I, I finally called the police in my situation. Finally, after he tried to break into my apartment, after I told him that I was done over the phone, two weeks had passed after I went to the ER and sought help, nothing from him. And he waited those two weeks because he wanted to see if any heat was going to come his way. Was police going to show up at his door? Were, his, were brothers going to show up at his door? Laverne said nothing. Okay. So two weeks later, he called me like everything was a-okay. Hey, I'm coming over. No, you're not. I had my locks changed. That infuriated him. How dare you tell me that you're done? I'm going to kill you. And he tried to. Tried to break into my apartment, used a crowbar. The police said he used something like a crowbar, was trying to get in between the door. He cut the phone lines in my basement. He had every intention of getting into my apartment because I was now living in a studio apartment. He had every intention of getting in that room and physically harming me to the point where he, where I wouldn't have a chance to get outside help called the police, finally got a restraining order when he started stalking me after that attack, and that kept him away. That doesn't necessarily keep abusers away all the time. How often do you hear on the news, she was getting ready to leave and take yeah. the kids, and he, he killed himself and the children. My mom was getting mm -hmm. ready to leave. She told him to pack his bags, and, you know, she right. picked up a barbell and caved her head, and, you know. That's you exactly about, it. Yeah. You talked about learned behavior with these abusers, right? Yes. And um, I'm thinking when, when you're mentioning that, I'm thinking that and it brings me back to the event that you did on Saturday mm. as far as the white ribbon challenge. And can you kind of explain? I was able and I'm, I'm so blessed and grateful to have been a part of that. And, oh. you know, it sucks that we couldn't do it in person this year. But yes. could you explain a little bit of the white ribbon pledge and what I that is and what we're trying to do with that? Absolutely. So the so the the event itself is centered around the white nationwide white ribbon campaign, where we ask more. My phone just died. That's great. 
um, where we ask more men to speak out against domestic violence. Too often you hear us as women advocating for this issue, but where are men's voices on it, right? 90% um, of the time, unfortunately, men are the perpetrators. And so we need to have you guys involved in the conversation. So this nationwide campaign was started in Canada um, back in 1989 after a guy who just did not like feminists or women um, walked into a mall and shot up specifically aiming, aiming the gun at women. Um, 14 women were killed in that attack. And the following year, the White Ribbon Campaign was started again out of Canada um, after that massacre happened. And so it's spread now to the States, New Zealand, Australia, like many countries um, recognize this campaign. And it's a statewide day here in Massachusetts on the first Thursday of every March. So when I heard about the White Ribbon Campaign, when I was doing my pageantry, you know, advocacy, I was like, wait a minute, how come we don't know about this in Dorchester? <laughs> like, I want people to know about this stuff, right? I want to know that. I want people to know that men can be a part of this thing, too. So yeah. we started a community White Ribbon Day. And then that the following year, when Love Life Now was formed, um, it, 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 it turned into a gala. So this particular night, when it's in person, we asked men and women mm -hmm. to get all fancy up, dressed up, come and hear from about three to four different men. And of those three to four different men, one may be a local celebrity, one may be a Joe Schmo that's running a company, um, but uses his voice every day on social media against this issue. The other may be a politician, right? So three different type of men that are using their voice to advocate against this issue every day. Couldn't have that this year be uh, um, because of the, 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 the I'm sorry, the, the pandemic. COVID. Right. And so what I decided to do was that to turn it to virtual. So instead of having the reach where we only have, you know, a community or, you know, some communities coming together for this particular night, I wanted to make it a global awareness night. So we got video submissions from about 30 seconds to about a minute of men from different pockets of the world. So we had submissions from Madrid, Spain, uh, submission from Brazil. Uh, submission from um, Liberia, uh, another part of that, Monrovia, Monrovia Africa, um, Trinidad, which is where I'm from, Jamaica. So all these different countries. That's really cool. Right. And then we also had men from different parts of the United States, including Rob right here in Massachusetts. Yeah. And Rob. each man mm -hmm. gave their reasons, again, 30 seconds to a minute, why this issue is so important to them, why they stand against domestic violence and, up, and, and uplift a woman in their space. This is Women's History Month, March, right? Yeah. Um, uplift a woman in their space, why they, who they would never want this issue to happen to. And we culminated those videos into a program, right? So it, just, it wasn't just guys speaking, but we really were able to, to sort of expand on the awareness piece because we were able to put in PSAs in there, right? To have people understand what the White Ribbon Campaign is about. There was one about boys, why boys and how boys are able to repeat this level of violence from because of what society tells them from very young it's called boys don't cry right so from very young society says you need to be tough you fight if you fight that gains respect you need to command respect you need to take charge um uh if 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 it's you know a boy you know you know 
hitting on a girl or flirting with a girl or beating on a boy, boys will be boys. All these really crazy messages that start from really young that, that you then take into your college days. So now you're on your own. You've been told all your life, boys will be boys. You know, you got to get in her panties like when she gets drunk and all this stuff. And that's a that's a notch on your belt. And you right. go off to college and that's the sexual assault, right? Big on campus, right? Um, same thing with domestic violence. You got a commander, you, you, you know, you saw in your house when you were growing up, that's how your father commanded respect. Um, and so that PSA was really important for me to understand. But then we also had Jackson Katz, who's a real MVP and the name of his organization is MVP, talking about the dynamics of being a bystander as men, right? So what is your responsibility when you're at the barbershop and you hear a guy in the next chair that you're really cool with talking outside his mouth saying, I beat that B so bad last night. I'm going to make her come correct tomorrow. What is your response? And obviously, I'm really going flip here. But, you know, you're staying at the, the, the water cooler at work. And he right. comes, I hate that B. What is your responsibility? Well, if it's nothing, you're part of the problem. Because your silence says that you're condoning it. Right. And if you if you if you if you call him out or her out and then that's kind of it, well, then you're also part of the problem because you're friends with an abuser and you're saying that her or, you know, wh whoever they're abusing doesn't mean really much to you. Right. It's and not OK. Right. It's not it's OK. Not okay. <laughs> How do you begin to speak out and use your voice as a bystander? And it does a bystander, like I said, doesn't just mean you physically are walking by and you see somebody getting beat up and you want to go physically interject yourself, that's also what we we say don't do because you don't know what that person has on them. You don't know what the, the abuser has a gun. You don't know yeah. if they have a knife. You can get hurt. And guess what? Even if you don't get hurt, even if you do get a good beating on that person, guess what? The victim is still going home with them. And guess who it's going to get taken out on? The victim. Because you, you didn't really do much. Yeah. So always call 911, even if you're walking, you're hearing something in the, in the next aisle, you're on a trip, figure out what the emergency number is for that country, you, you know, you're somewhere, you have a responsibility. And yeah, that's I, the inclusiveness I, that we message. want for men. Yeah, I, I've got to step in here because uh, it gets better is all about hope. Now, uh -huh. This stuff is, is uh, serious. It is important. Uh, you, you've brought up some really enlightening points and and uh from my perspective i look at it and i'm going man she's on she, right 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 hope what can we do somebody's listening out there saying yes she is speaking my language yeah what what do i do what's that first what what is it get educated on the issue this was what how i don't know how long we've been talking 30 45 minutes right um there's so much more <laughs> to understand oh yeah and it's yeah, not yeah, hard i've learned so much already right time. but it's not it's not hard to even if even if you get even if we get off this call and you again go to the national domestic violence hotline and on it's called the hotline.org on the web even if you go to the hotline.org and you just look at signs, because we only touched on a little bit earlier. You look at the signs, you look at what's the closest, you just have to put in your zip code, what's the closest DV agency in my area. So you're now, no pun intended, armed with information so that if this ever happens in your circle, you know what to do. 
or you have some sort of insight as to where to point this person to, or yeah. if you yeah. you yourself are ever because never say never. That I am a I'm a huge firm believe, believer on that now, yeah. given my experience. Again, I never thought this would be me. You couldn't again. I I was the furthest removed from what I thought a victim was, and then here I was. Two years. So Two that years. See something that see something say something like you were talking yes. about a prevention. Yeah. I remember going through my mother's murder trial and getting to the point in the trial where they talked about the neighbors that heard arguing and fighting oh. coming from my mother's trailer, and that you know they just figured it was normal behavior from that particular trailer that nobody ever called the police. You know, maybe if they had called the police and said something, my mother would still be here today. You know, and that's that's kind of the hit, right? It's like, I don't have to intervene and save someone from a beating. Like you said, the abuser goes home with the victim. But like, I could tell somebody. I saw that's something, it. I could say something. And I can right. sit here and tell you that if someone had said something about what was going on in my mother's trailer park, my mother may not have got her head caved in when she told that man to leave. I'm telling you, Rob, and you, you're spot on. And that's another, again, when, when I talk about the other piece of awareness that you brought. So your mom was in, she was, was she, was she 59 at the time? 60. So, right. So she was she her, just, was her 60th birthday yeah. about to come up? Yeah. Right. Okay. So age, people think, oh, only young people go through, right? That was a whole other piece of awareness that was opened up for folks to understand. This goes across the board. And to see something, say something, oh my God, it is so, so necessary. Oftentimes, victims will not pick up the phone and call for help for themselves because they believe, one, it's going to get better. They've been told sometimes as much, I'm going to change. So if they threaten, I'm going to leave. Okay, okay, I'll go to church with you. Oh, okay, I'll go to counseling. Oh, okay. And then it repeats itself. B, out of fear, right? They've been conditioned to believe that if you leave, I will kill you. If you leave, I will find you. If you leave, I will take the kids. If you leave, you talked about some of that stuff, Lutman, earlier. You yeah. talked about some of the reason why victims stay, right? Okay. And then the other part is out of shame. Okay. I don't want anybody associating me, associating me with this issue. So right. I'm never going to call. But if you call and you don't have to give your name, my God, you can call 911 anonymously, right? Might as well do it. Say, this is happening in the trailer that's next door to me. Can you come? That may be the only report that gets on file and they show up hopefully in the midst of it happening. So there's no covering up your neck and coming to the door. Oh, everything's okay. That shame and guilt, right? Because I know my mother was too full of, sh she was full of shame and guilt. She didn't even tell me what was going on in the house. My that's mother it. sat silently getting beaten. Is that a more firm believer? I don't believe that was the first time that man put his hands on my mother. Of course not. I'm sure she sat there in silence. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So I was on a pod. I was on a podcast the other day, Rob. That's a good point. I was on a podcast the other day with Cindy Stompo, tough as nails. And so she's talking about she's a, you know she's heavy into the construction world and she deals with like you know she just built uh, m m what's the basketball player's name Matumbo Matumbo Matumbe. Nobody. Nobody. What is the Kembe Matumbo for 100, please? 
Yeah, I was just going, come on, Lutman. This is like right in your wheelhouse. It's right up there, right? And so I, she just built his house, right? So she's dealing with like the, the you know, cream the crop, right? And she's all these, she said, listen, let me tell you something. She said, these multimillionaires, women, multimillionaire women are staying and getting abused. Friends of hers are getting abused behind closed doors and they will not go. Shame. Shame. So you think it only happens in one type of community and one type of person, and you realize this is widespread. So again, if you hear something and you pick up the phone and you call, they may just have a chance to get saved. Rob is spot on with that because that's what it takes a lot of the time. They're not going to pick up the phone and call for a myriad of reasons. And you have to know that you can be part of the solution, that you're sitting back and saying, oh, it's not my business. You know, Absolutely. that's what they do over there. And, you know, I grew up here and that's my neighborhood. So I'm just going to continue to, you know, accept it in, 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 the, in the neighborhood I'm, I am now. That's not that. No, that's not that's not business as usual. You have a responsibility to pick up the phone and call every single time. Absolutely. I tell folks, it doesn't matter if you're in the grocery store and you hear something popping off in the next aisle. If you happen to walk around and you see a tussle or a strangulation going on or a slap or a yelling, Get as much information as you can. You do not have to stand around. Follow that, that those people out of the, the, the out of the grocery store. See what car they're getting into. Get the license plate. Take it and call. I think now, Rob had a couple more questions. Rob for Levine, right? Wow. Yeah, I just want to I just want to make it really clear. You know, if you're if you see any domestic violence going on, or you're having domestic violence uh, brought upon you, please call the hotline. Domestic violence hotline. What yes. is the number, Laverne? It is one. We're gonna have we're gonna have it on the ticker on the bottom here as well for this hotline. Thank you. Please share the number. Absolutely, it's one 799 safe. S A F E. Again, one 799 safe. Folks can also call us. You can text eight 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 L L N nine eight seven six eight 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 five five six. 9876. And folks can text us. They don't have to pick up the phone and call. I get a lot of texts all the time because people feel more comfortable communicating that way. Yeah. And sometimes it's just safer. I don't ask why they, they text. I just and, text is text. And just like uh, Sunrise, they can contact you and, yes. and there's action. It's, it's like it, you, know, you could go to the 800 number right there or they can contact you. There yep. is action behind that 24 7. Absolutely. At any time of the night, anytime, sure. anytime, anytime. And so with that, I do want to make it clear. We're not in a domestic violence agency. We're, just, we're mostly focused on education and awareness around this issue. But uh, what we do is we point people in the right direction oh, yeah. for help. Because a lot of the times people do not even know where to begin. They've gotten referred to us because a friend of a friend knows of us. Right. See, and so then for the first time, they're yeah. hearing from someone. Oh, my God. Me, too. Look at you. Oh, you, you went through story, that, too? Your story was just like that. I, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I, I just that, that I didn't know. And, and yeah. most most people seems most people do not know. And no. I love it. Fortunately. And that brings me to our. So my I just released my book today. The book okay. cover, at least. And oh, nice. the cover. Oh, I'm, I'm saying this. No, this is all encompassing to what you just said. So the cover, if when you see it, you'll understand that people are walking around. And so it's a half and half of my face. And 
shout out to the special effects January Queen that did the special effects on the face and then the other half Alvin Moyer on the makeup. But people are walking around battered and bruised, not just physically, but emotionally, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Physical scars will often heal, but your insides, mm. you walk around with that trauma for the rest of your life. I still right. am. Yeah, I'm in absolutely. therapy. Writing the writing the book put me in therapy, okay? Because I so, have to yeah. revisit so many details, mm. and I'm proud That's to real. say that. Right? That's real. Um, mental health is you know, the best thing that you can address from the from the top go down. It is the best thing that you can do. It is it is your friend. Um, so I encourage people that if you're going through or you've been through this type of issue to seek mental and unpack your stuff. I don't even care okay. if it's addiction, it's 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 domestic violence, it's just emotional trauma. Unpack your stuff. You don't because have to do this all by yourself. Walking around with it. No, you don't. You don't. Right. And it's okay. We've been told when we were coming up in the black community, whatever happens here stays here. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do not bring our business in the streets. Meaning to a third party therapist. Right. Don't don't talk about our stuff. Right. Hey. has our counseling centers down in Jersey that, you know, focuses on mental health and things like this uh, to be able to offer that help and that service. And I love what you do because what you do is a lot like what me and Rob do. You know, we we have the resources and we facilitate them and our phone rings for a wide range of, you know, different reasons. And yeah. um, one of the things we wanted to ask you, too, was um, how often does drugs and alcohol play a part in the domestic violence scene? From what uh, you can tell, it's a great so question. It, yeah, so it plays a part, but it is not the cause. I want people right. to understand that. All right, he hit me because he was drunk. He hit me because he was high. No, it was a choice. <laughs> okay, so that's just an uh, a sort of an anchor to. And to I got not my I got my mother's boyfriend saying I wouldn't do it if I wasn't drunk. That's you that's know what I mean? that's that's baloney, right? Exactly. Okay, so um. Often, so one of the initiatives that we host throughout the year, once per quarter, we go out and we meet the homeless where they're at. Now we're meeting the homeless where they're at with a brown bag lunch and a bag full of toiletries. So chapstick, deodorant, soap, all of those necessary things that kind of get you through the day, hygiene wise. And we're not meeting them just to be meeting them for that. We're using those things as incentives for women and or men to come and talk to us about the abuse they're facing. If you're thinking that abuse happens behind four walls, it's happening outside of four walls as well. And so women walking on the street, a lot of the times people will come up to us, women will come up to us under the influence, high as a kite, but they got a big knot on their cheek Absolutely. from the night before. We Who see it in our you? facilities all the time. We Tell see it you. in our facilities all yeah. the time. It is the saddest it's thing. And so we're using those things as incentives for them to, to trust us. Um, but we get to talking and it's like, well, nobody can help me, you know, because... You know, look at where I'm at. They don't believe that they deserve help. That's what, that's what people believe when they're on the streets. Half the time, we hear from folks that they're on the streets because of a domestic violence situation. Well, they went, they went to try to find a shelter. There was no space and they had nowhere to go. Right. I'm so, I'm, I am so grateful with Sunrise Detox, the counseling centers and Love Life now that we're able to. And I think that's when I got plugged in Amen. with you and your organization to be able to, you know, be my mother's voice and yes. continue to be her son. But at the same time, bridge that gap with substance abuse and domestic violence and that's offer it. a way for people to get as much help as they need for whatever reason they need. And I'm to cast you. a wider net and help more people. I'm it's telling amazing. you, so. 
that's what you said there. So the very first time that Rob and I had asked Rob to be, um, when we, it was leading up to the, the Helathon that he was a part of, the initial one, um, I asked him to come on a segment with me on NBC, um, This is New England. And um, Rob was so raw about what, because this was just, this was yeah. all still written, which is why, and so if you if you could see me, I don't know if people can see, but I, I was at a loss for words because I, I, I was, this was still so very raw. And when you're in that rawness of, uh, being a and, a and a you know sort of a um a result of the ripple effect that this issue has it's hard but rob held up so well on that interview um that Thank morning you. i will never forget it it's one of the it's one of the interviews that i will never ever forget because he just was so adamant about why he needed to speak up and with this issue i cannot tell you enough whether you're under the again as a result a, a ripple part of the ripple effect because this spans far and wide when this happens it's not just a news story right you, you see it on the news and then you're like you don't know what happened after and you don't know what happened before this was leading up right to the to it like rob said it didn't just happen he doesn't believe it happened once this stuff was brewing. It isn't like I woke up and I just decided to beat my wife. Right. That, that's not the way this happens. And you see, no. and then you end up seeing it on the news, but you don't know what happens after, right? So it's a ripple effect. It happens now. So now people have to get counseling. People have to be on the news talking yeah. about this issue, trying to raise awareness. People have to, you know, put on events just to, you know, to honor their parents. Like all of these things, their children involved, they're taken away. They have no parent. Like there's a whole ripple effect. <sighs> when this happens in a community or in a, in, or in any setting. So um, I lost my train of thought, but the bottom line is what I'm saying to you is that when you say something, that's where abusers lose their power and control. And that's, if it's anything that I can impart on yeah, anyone listening tonight is speak up, say I, something, even if you don't want to talk to your family because you believe that they do not understand yeah. you and him, Find somebody else, third party. There is help available. And it's an uphill battle. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's not so very true. Easy. It's so true. My, whole, my life was saved when I had the courage and the strength to put down my guilt and shame and raise my hand and say I need help. Yes. I had to break my silence because I was suffering That's in my it. silence. And you showed me how much me and my mom really, truly are, were alike. You know what I mean? Seriously. And where, you know, how important, if I know how important it was for me to speak up and ask for help for my substance yes. use and, and my disease of addiction, for me to get my right, life right, I can't imagine how hard it would have been for my mom for her. to speak up and ask for help. But my mom didn't. And what you're saying is people that are out there in a domestic violence situation right now can, mm -hmm. and yes. they don't have to end up dead under a blanket like my mother. No, and you're believing it's, you know, it's, it's not that bad. The emotional breakdown that is happening to you every single day, every day that you get up and you feel, and I, I don't know, I, I don't really, I don't typically pay attention to the Royals. I don't know if you guys watched the Meghan Markle um, piece last night on with Oprah, right? But I wanted to see, I wanted to watch, right? Because I've heard right. about it so much over the, over this, this period of time. And so, one of the things that she said that resonated with me, and again, everybody has their own opinion on that interview to each their own, right? That's your opinion. What resonated with me was when she was talking about how the institution, meaning the, you know, the hierarchy, wouldn't listen to her when she said she needed help. So she 
found courage to say that this thing was affecting her and putting her in a real dark place to the point where she felt like she didn't want to be here anymore. She was feeling suicidal and she was pregnant at the time with their, um, their son. And she's saying she went to these folks because it's not like you can, it's not like me, like I can go look up and shop for a therapist, right? It's not the same. They, they can't just grab an Uber and go to a therapist, right? They get all their information taken away when they enter the system, right? So your, your yeah. driver's license, all your ID and all that stuff. So she was explaining this stuff and she was basically saying like, I was telling these people that I need help. And they were basically saying that we, we hear you but we can't help you because that's going to make it look bad for the, for the Royal family. And I empathized and that resonated with me so very much because I know what it was like, again, when I was writing my book, what space I was in, not to the level where I felt like I wanted to take my life at all. Not saying that it was more so there were so many details that were coming up. I've told my story many times over the years, but they were bits and pieces that I had gotten okay with sharing. But they were, when writing the book, I had to really own in, talk to my mom, get details and facts straight, um, revisit things that I had kind of suppressed over the years. And it put me in a real funky space to the tune where my it, was, it wasn't enough to cry on my husband's shoulder. I needed to talk to somebody and unpack my stuff. And so I just impart on anybody um, that, again, if you are in a space where you're getting up every single day, and you feeling like, my God, I don't know how much more of this I can take. I implore you, there is so much available. I don't pay because I have insurance. I don't pay for my visits. Telehealth is free. I meet with my therapist in my robe. Okay. I don't have to leave my house. Okay. And even if there's a copay, most insurance companies are waiving it. So that's even at $20, I don't have to pay, right? Do not sit there with your stuff. Yeah, You're only amazing. doing yourself a disservice and the people around you a disservice. Please. Well, well said. All right. One more time. One more time before we wrap up. What is the phone number for somebody who's going through these issues? The, the hotline number and then yours as well. The nationwide domestic violence hotline where you can find any agency or talk to an advocate right on their website is 1-800-799-SAFE. Again, 1-800-799-SAFE. And ours, if you feel like talking to me because you heard me tonight, it's 888-LLN-9876. Again, 888, and that's 556-9876. And you can find us on all social media. Join us there if you need a little uplift me um, as it relates to this issue or just to find out how you can be part of the solution because there are many, many ways. And so the white ribbon pledge you can check it out i posted it on my facebook i know it's on the love life now foundation yes you know, it's facebook. pinned right it's to the top of the page you to see just... my beautiful face what's yes. next what is coming up next what is planned with love life now i know some is approaching what do we have going on through the pandemic and what are we going to be able to get away with getting done so the, we've continued to do when we heard that we could go out and be with people to some degree at social distancing. We've continued to do the homeless brown bag. So the next one for that is April, I believe it's the first week. I have to get the date, but if you want to be part of any of the initiatives that we um, host, all you gotta do is go on the website, www.lovelifenow.org. It's all in cursive. I gotta change right that there. so you can see it. Um, but lovelifenow.org, 
and you can join us on social media and find out what's coming up next. So the the homeless brown bag is coming up next, and then we got to start now thinking about the Helathon. So last year it was virtual; we couldn't be in person, um, and that meant people signed up, and we had this platform on right on the website where we issued challenges every week leading up to what would have been the in-person heelathon. So it wasn't just, oh, you walk a mile and that's it. You paid money to you know donate to a domestic violence shelter. It was you donate the money, but then every week we're asking you find a man in your space and have them wear uh, a pair of heels. Ask them what that feels like. I still have my right? high heels in my car. Every time I, I open love my trunk, your pair of Mary James. Yeah, every time I open my, if someone goes in my trunk, they're like, "What's up with the high heels?" And then I'm like, "They're mine." And then I get these relax. looks. Relax. Yeah. Oh, Chill. Rob, I hope relax. I hope you get the book. I hope you get the book because you're in there with those heels on. Uh, right. speak, uh, speaking of book. Speaking of the book. I didn't know it's in your book. It's 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 called the legacy he left me, and again, just released the cover this morning, so you can go on again. The legacy he left me dot com, and again, it's a you know the perpetration of my father's abuse that you know led me to where I ended up in that type of relationship. But it doesn't just talk about the abuse; it talks about the after and what life can look like. Um, And I really try to give some clinical terms in there that can help marry what people are experiencing so they know they can put a name to the thing, right, Um, of what they're experiencing, but also, again, what the after looks like. So all that Helathon first, it's usually the first or second week in June. But again, join us on social media and you'll be able to find out about all of it. I love life now. Excuse me there, Rob. And uh, I'm looking at the events. Great website. Thank the you. best one is uh, the 3K Heelathon, and and oh. all you're looking at is a bunch of people wearing heels, getting yes. ready on a starting line. That's a yes. great shot. Yes, we walk a mile on this uh, a very busy street in Brockton with awareness signs that great. get people involved. Right, so it's real men beat eggs, not women. Right, <laughs> so it's like you have people driving by and honking. You have somebody in a loudspeaker you have people from their houses that are coming out that morning so it's a real engaging morning and the life and the vibrancy i just i cannot wait for us to be back in person because that's one of my favorite initiatives that we host and again we host different initiatives throughout the year because we know it's not just one cookie cutter way that awareness is going to spread to different people everybody loves different you're gonna have to wrap this up right now laverne laverne yes rob does it get better? Oh, it does get better. Look at me, friend. <laughs> <laughs> As he Thank sports you so much. The, Thank it you so gets much. better swag. Nobody else has <laughs> except him. I have course. to get a shirt. Yes. Awesome. We all need to get a shirt. But apparently, Rob, the Lutman has uh, the channels. <laughs> Laverne, right. I just I just want to thank you, Laverne, thank for coming you so on much. here. And I just I, I want to use a platform to just express my gratitude for God works through people. And yeah. when you came into my life, I don't know if I would have made it through my mother's murder, her murder mm. trial, without getting high if I didn't have you in my life. Oh God. But I want to open and honestly say thank you for everything that you've done for me. You probably kept that needle out of my neck. A whole village helped keep that needle out of my neck during that time of my life. And I am so grateful that, you know, that man may have taken my mother, but he didn't take my clean date. And I want to thank you for that. And thank you for coming on here. Thank you. And plug the book again. 
Uh, it's the legacy he left me.com. Just hold on, hold on. Did you say the legacy? The legacy, legacy. he left me.com. And it just it's it just went on pre-order today. So I'm That's just great. Rob, All you right. just you just I have I don't have a I never have a lot of words because you 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 bring me there. Um and, and short think, of crying, I'm gonna I'm not gonna I all right. All I'm right. gonna bring I'm gonna bring Lutman up with in. me for the fashion okay. show and the fashion show. If we can all get together for the fashion show, I'm bringing Lutman up. I think we're gonna need right. a sunrise table. Oh, I love that. Lutman, have you heard about the fashion show? Uh, yes, I have. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most amazing thing. I'm looking Honestly, forward to it. I know we're trying to wrap this up, but I need to talk about it because, you know, two years ago, Laverne asked me to come and join her fashion show. And she asked me to walk as a male model and be my mother's voice in this fashion show. She dressed me up in clothes and apparel and asked me to walk a catwalk. I was completely insecure, fearful and doubtful. But nonetheless, I was around some amazing survivors. Oh, my God. So Gabby and so many more that. You know, I didn't know any of these women, but, you know, yeah. some of them, it was their first time walking. And I've watched mm -hmm. these amazing souls who have been battered, beaten and broken that have resurrected from ashes like a phoenix. Seriously. And they get to walk so scared, insecure and doubtful the first walk around the catwalk. Yeah. And they walk and they walk and they walk the catwalk and then they come back and it's time to walk a second time and they're strutting in yes, and walking. It's like hoorah. Like, Howard. It was the most, That's that awesome. first time was the, so, it was just an amazing experience <laughs> to watch these women transform into some sort of power, powerful force. I'm telling Fucking you. Force. And that the dynamic with that fashion show is that all the, all, all the models are survivors or have wow. been affected by the issue of abuse. And so we want That's folks funny. to be in the know. This is not one cookie cutter, um, one cookie cutter person or type of person that goes through this. So yeah, that's just right. yell, Rob. You just one F bomb. Only <gasps> one F bomb the whole episode because Laverne's here. So we get we get we get we get to edit that one out. Not because <laughs> Laverne's here. Please don't put that on Laverne. <laughs> yeah. All right, you can find everything out at lovelifenow.org. And I mean all the events. Yeah. Got some conferences. There's a book, the Helathon. Absolutely yes. all out there. No problems. We've got a couple of numbers just to reiterate. Triple eight L L N nine eight seven six. You want to talk to Laverne? I highly recommend that. And of course, the uh the national number is one eight hundred seven nine nine safe. That is a hotline. I if there's any parting shot, and that is means you're never alone. It gets better, yeah. but you're oh, never ever alone these are great stories big hearts and don't and suffer in silence read yeah, out reach it. out and ask for help that's what this is about raise your hand yep. closed mouths don't get fed if you're struggling that's with it. domestic violence substance use disorder i just need someone to talk mental health reach out and ask for help that's it, that's it. all right we're going to wrap it up on the other side of you're saying to yourself scott there's a lot of information to get uh, it's all out there it's going to be out there so don't worry about it you are not alone great job robs but laverne just really just way over way over your head just the great job that is yeah. i love it all right it gets Thank better you. it gets better it gets better Woo! baby it gets better <laughs> yes all right we're gonna be wrapping it up on the other side stay tuned help is available 24 7 with our partners at sunrise detox call our recovery hotline at 855 900 0080 Again, 
855-900-0080.